The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjum. Welcome back to Making Money Fun. I am your host, Shanna Tinjum, and I am so glad that you joined us today for what is going to be a really exciting, fun, and enlightening conversation. I have in the studio with me today, Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law. Welcome in, Becky. Thank you. Good to be here. (laughs) And we are also live streaming this on the Heritage Financial Facebook page, as well as the Chaluka Law Facebook page. So pop over there if you have any questions to ask us or any comments. Uh, We would love to hear those. And you can also email or give us a call here. You'll hear that information on the intro and outro to the show, but we uh, would love to see you on Facebook as well. So there have been so many developments recently on the non-traditional front when it comes to estate and financial planning, and that's why I wanted to dedicate an entire show to this topic. Next week, we will actually be talking specifically about wills, trusts, and the like, and the topic, uh, the title of that one is Where There's a Will, There's a Way. So we're going to dig really, really deep into estate planning planning and the uh, that um, uh, realm, but I did want to start that conversation today with just some uh, some updates with legally what has happened with uh, gay marriage and all of that fun stuff being legalized and how that might impact our um, estate and financial planning process. So tell us a little bit about how that, um, where we are with that, Becky. Sure. Well, when the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, which was the bill that uh, Bill Clinton actually signed into law in the 90s, when that got struck down, it, it opened up, and I remember writing an article that day, it opened up a lot of potential litigation. Okay. Because there's a lot of rules that intersect in this between um, federal rules, state laws, IRS code, all of these things all intersect now, and, okay. and it's a matter of updating all of our laws and figuring out what benefits, who's, who is now entitled to what and how and as of what date. And um, So it's been a, a lot of confusion, but you know, as we're working through it, it's getting a little bit easier. Okay. Um, but you know, there's definitely still a lot of misconceptions out there and, and information that people still need to hear. Sure. So when it comes to the DOMA being struck down and the legalization of gay marriage happening, that made it possible. 
possible for gay couples to marry, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're through with all the challenges. No, and, it doesn't. And so tell us a little bit in your mind sort of what the number one thing is that non-traditional couples need to be aware of when it comes to estate planning. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. You need to be aware that you are now treated the same. Okay. Which is is sometimes hard to think about from a legal perspective. Oh, well, I should just do this. I should just... No, now it's either you are married or you're not married. Ah, okay. And there are lots of pros and cons to that. Right, right. As people even in traditional marriages know, they've complained <laughs> for years that taxes are terrible when you're married. Right. Well, so now you have to make a decision. Do you want to, to remain non- unmarried or do mm-hmm. you want to get married? And there's a lot of pros and cons in that. Wow. So that... And, and I think it depends a lot on wh- kind of what state you live in too, doesn't it? Because... I, I don't know from a estate planning perspective, but there are different rules with respect to how states are treating taxes and, and all of that stuff, right? Well, yeah. So tax code when you're married could be more favorable or less favorable depending on the state that you're in. Okay. Um, depending on where you're working. Okay. You know, employee benefits could have a difference of if you're married or if you're unmarried. I okay. mean, there's a lo- there's lots that intersect now um, with that decision. I have clients, actually traditional clients, who have chosen to get divorced because they've made the decision that there's the benefits outweigh it as far as taxes in wow. their um, case to actually be divorced and still together wow. as opposed to married and still together. Yeah, I've, I, I, we've had that in our circle of friends um, from from my folks uh, know people mm-hmm. that have done that. And it, it um, in their case, was a health insurance um, situation that, that it just made more sense to be separated um, but still, you know, living as husband and wife. Right. And, and it's unfortunate that our laws can't sort of catch up with the reality of the quote-unquote modern family mm-hmm. that you and I see a lot more in our practices today than we kind of um, ever did. And so, you know, that's definitely um, something that, that, I, that I see a lot. Now, what, what is one of the big misconceptions, I think, that, that, um, that you're seeing in, in your practice when it comes to the, the non-traditional couples um, w- that are coming in for planning? You know, one of the biggest questions I get or or misconceptions, oh, well, we've been together for 20 years, so mm, we're common law common marriage. Law. Does that even exist anymore? No, it doesn't. Uh, okay. In fact, in Arizona, I don't think it ever existed in Arizona. Ah, uh, okay. And, and All right. Texas, there's a few states that still are hanging on to it. Okay. Most states have abolished it if they had it. Okay. Um, and for those states that still have it, in order to be have Arizona, for example, recognize uh, a common law marriage from another state, uh-huh. they're going to look at evidence of how you held yourself out as a married couple. Okay. And the problem with that is one of the things that they're going to look at is did you file married tax returns? Okay. Well, most of the time unmarried people will never file married tax returns. One, there's not a box for that. I'm in a common law marriage. <laughs> right. And and two, you're going to get a tax hit. So okay. if that's the, the biggest evidence they're going to look at, you can't show that Common law marriage, even from other states, typically isn't going to be recognized here in Arizona. Wow. Okay. So even if that existed where you are, you come here and you don't have those same protections. Correct. So now what if you were married in a state that recognizes that union prior to the Defense of Marriage Act being struck and you move now to Arizona or wherever, is that union still going to be recognized legally? Yeah, and this is actually, there's been really interesting litigation that's gone on um, regarding timelines okay. for those types of cases. Okay. There's one I remember here in Arizona particularly, where there was actually a husband and a wife who were married. Okay. They got divorced. Okay. Wife remarried another woman in another state. That okay. was legal. It was a legal okay. marriage. Right. Um, 
what was interesting in that particular case, husband was paying spousal maintenance okay. through the divorce process. Okay. But there is a clause in their con- divorce decree that said if another spouse gets remarried, that spousal maintenance goes away. Right. So then there was a, an argument when, when it, uh, Arizona finally recognized gay marriage. It was, okay, are we recognizing wife's gay marriage as of the date Arizona recognized it? Okay. Or does it go all the way back to the date of their marriage from a state that had a legal marriage? Wow. What was interesting is the husband won in that case. The husband said, listen, it should go back to the wedding date. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't go back to the date Arizona said they got married. It's the date that they actually got married in another state. Wow. And so wife in that case had to pay back husband a whole bunch of spousal maintenance that she wasn't entitled to under the divorce decree. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So so even though this, you know, for for, um, equality perspective is, you know, this whole thing is, is wonderful, it does kind of open up those cans of worms to be applied in ways that they didn't really intend for it to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a that was a very for us attorneys. We love those kind of litigated cases because they're just fascinating to us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I assume that they probably didn't mean for that to happen when they when they made you know all of these changes. So it it really kind of opens up a a, a kind of an interesting can of worms. Um, wow, that that's an interesting subject. So. When we're looking at the non-traditional couple, are there different planning processes or tools or forms or any of that stuff for those types of couples? Or is it the same type of planning, just a different way? You know, it's interesting because before a gay marriage was recognized here in Arizona, it was com- it was completely different planning. Hmm. And now it's all the same. Really? You're either married. Or you're not. Or you're not married. Huh. And and there's lots of different decisions to make in that process. We're a community property state here in Arizona, so we look at community property things and what, okay. what separate property people have versus community property. Okay. So that's all part of the discussion. But it really has nothing to do now with whether or not you are in a traditional or non-traditional relationship. Okay. Now, you mentioned married. What if you are a non-traditional couple and are not married? Does that make it different, or is it the same? It's absolutely the same now. Interesting. Okay. And so, tell us, Becky, what um, types of planning in these scenarios, or really any scenarios, somebody would need to to look at? And and we'll talk more about this next week and do a deeper dive into this, but I'm assuming you, you would need kind of all the same documents, correct? Correct. And, and what people fail to realize, documents such as healthcare power of attorney, financial okay. power of attorney, those documents where we give someone else the ability to act for us. Okay. That really is the most important set of documents. If you want your spouse or not spouse, Mm -hmm. depending on the situation, (laughs) to act for you, there's no legal authority just by saying, hey, you're married, you're my husband or you're my wife, Mm -hmm. and so you can act for me. No, you still need legal authority of a document to act. It's not by default because you're married. Ah, okay. So so really all of those same, you know, the healthcare power of attorney, HIPAA form and all of that jazz, that's all as important, if not more important, in these situations where maybe we're not married and we're, you know, a couple or, or in some sort of a modern family relationship, right? Right. Okay. That that makes sense. Now, what if we throw kids into the mix with a non-traditional couple? Does that change the, the planning process? Is there any um, additional protection needed to make sure if, if you know, one person is incapacitated or passes away, that that other, you know, per- partner would have the right to raise those children. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on the legal relationship with the children. Okay. So are the children um, adopted by the other 
person. Uh-huh. Okay. So it, what's your legal connection? So okay. it, if there's no legal connection, if you're just a step parent at that point in time, okay. it's like any other blended family with, with stepkids. So blended okay. families are when there are children from a different relationship. Okay. So it's the Brady Bunch scenario, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I actually heard a, a really interesting statistic. 75% of us will be in a blended family situation in our lifetime. Seventy-five percent. That I thought that I never realized. That's crazy, and that's because of you know remarriage. Maybe we've been divorced, or maybe you're widowed or widower, and you get remarried. Right. And so at some point, three quarters of us are going to be in a situation where we have to figure out how to plan when there are children from a different relationship. Well, and that's a great point. How do we plan if there are children from a different relationship? I mean, are the documents the same, or do we need additional protection? The documents are the same, but they're much more comprehensive and complex. Okay. Planning for blended families actually is some of the most strategic planning we do in okay. our office. Okay. There's just so many more scenarios and what ifs that we need to go through. Okay. Um, do we want to treat all of the children the same? Okay. Do we want to treat them differently? Do we want to protect against remarriage so that we protect if one person dies that their kids won't get you know disinherited somehow mm-hmm. because we haven't planned generationally for them? Right, so right. Um, it is a much more comprehensive plan when we're dealing with kids that aren't legally or biologically yours. And so we really need to have those conversations kind of in the family unit to decide what is going to happen. And, and maybe those need to be facilitated by somebody like you that, that has done this for a number of different families because there really is no cookie-cutter way to handle it, correct? There's no cookie-cutter. And, and it's interesting. I get a lot of people who ask me, well, is this how most people do it? <laughs> and, and I tell them it doesn't matter what most people right. do. This is what do you want because right. we can create whatever it is that you want. And right. it's uh, sometimes very um, tender conversations yeah, with imagine. some of our clients. Um, sometimes, you know, one parent will feel like, you know, you should take care of my kids I want to take care of your kids and Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the other um, spouse's decision and um, so sometimes it is walking through a lot of um, difficult conversations and and getting people to the end because there's nothing worse I I do have clients that they just can't make up their mind yeah and then they don't plan right and and that's not the right answer right right that is not the right answer. no I yeah and I think that that goes to the inertia conversation right I mean sometimes Mm -hmm. it's way more comfortable to just not do it Absolutely. Then it is. Status quo. Maintain the status quo. (laughs) Right. And this also brings up interesting points of view and conversations in families where you have children or grandchildren that might not be the best equipped to handle a large inheritance, right? Yeah, we see a lot of kids who, unfortunately, when parents are thinking about whether they're going to leave the money or not leave the money, um, part of their discussion really should be, well, can they handle the money? Right, right, right. You know, or, and if they can't, how can we protect them from themselves in that situation? Yeah. You know, do you have a kid who has a gambling problem? And if you left mm-hmm. the money, they're just going to gamble it all away. And, right. Um, you know, we have to think of those types of scenarios and plan for those as well. So how do we do that? What what do we? How can mm-hmm. we accomplish making sure that you that you as a planner are are you know wanting to to you're wanting to make everything fair, right? Especially if you're in a non-traditional or blended situation, but you also w- realize that not everybody can handle the same level of 
trust or, or mm-hmm. money or whatever. I mean, how do, how do we do that? The best way to do that with blended families, honestly, is to do a revocable trust. Okay. Because if you leave money in cash to someone, so either okay. cash is either through the probate process or if on a beneficiary form, your, your life insurance policy, you say, I'm leaving my life insurance to my son. Okay. That's leaving somebody a bag of cash that you right. cannot then help them or guide them or put any rules or restrictions around that money. Right. So they can go to the car dealership and go buy three cars and be done with it, wow. which has happened. Yeah, I, I know those imagine. stories that I have happened. Um, when we have a revocable trust, we can actually create a trust now that we give that money to our child through, and we can put some rules or restrictions around those money um, to help them. Okay. So what you know, maybe we say you know you could only use this for education purposes until you're 25, and if right. you go to college, great, but you need to have a 2.5 GPA or higher mm. before the trust will start you know hmm. paying for this. There's lots of things that we could do. Wow. So we could require them to be financially responsible. Yes. And um, responsible in, you know, making sure their education is completed and that they're not turning into, you know, a crazy a trust fund baby or something trust like that. Fund baby. That's what we call them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that nobody wants to think that somebody that they raised or that their kids have raised could potentially be a, an issue. But I, I think that probably happens more often than not because, when when you give some you know a twenty or twenty one or twenty two year old a million dollars or whatever it is that they're going to be inheriting, that's just really a recipe for disaster, don't you think? Well, so you know, my dad died when yes. I was in, in college, and my sister and I both got forty two thousand dollars yeah. when that happened. And yeah. you know, it's it's amazing to me how many people come out of the woodwork. And will encourage you how to spend your money on themselves. Right. So, right. I, I mean, that, and that happens. And, and you know, forty thousand dollars to a nineteen-year-old was a whole heck of a bunch of money for me. And right. when you get even more than that, there's so many temptations out there, and you don't know, you don't have the life skills at that age to deal with that kind of money. Right. So, right. you know, when we do put trust in place, one thing you might like, we have, uh, we have provisions where we can say, you know, we're going to have, you know, Aunt Anne Marie deal with the money until you reach a certain age. And when you reach a certain age, maybe it's 25, you're going to become a co-trustee. So Aunt Anne-Marie can now help and teach you how it is to handle these this kind of money and this kind of responsibility. So it's not that you're just all of a sudden one day wake up and go, well, now you get to do it on your own. Wow, yeah. You still get guidance under somebody else helping you for a few years. Okay. That that absolutely makes sense. And and that also might make uh, even more sense. We'll talk about this on the flip side of the break. But what what if you're in a non traditional situation and you really don't have anybody to take the reins when it comes to administering all of this stuff or you don't have a family member or friend that you trust what do you do and then you know I, th- I think that that's a, a good discussion for us to to start with when we come back um, from the break and and we'll also talk a little bit more about some of the scenarios that it, that it might make a lot more sense to make sure that your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed because I know that some of the companies that are out there are still trying to figure out how to handle like beneficiary forms and and those types of things, which, you know, that is a whole other conversation that we want to make sure we touch on is that, you know, if you ha- if you have planned and your beneficiary form conflicts with that, 
what happens? I mean, great that, question. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that that's something that a lot of people have questions on. And speaking of questions, if you've joined us on Facebook Live, hello. Uh, feel free to ask us questions. We're live on the Heritage Financial uh, uh, Strategies Facebook page and also on Chaluka Law's Facebook page. So, please feel free to ask us those questions there and we'll answer those live on the air. Or you can call or email us if you're listening live on Voice America. So, thanks so much for joining. I'm Shanna Tingham uh, with the Making Money Fun Show, and we'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back. This is Shanna Tinjum with the Making Money Fun Show, and I have in the studio with me today Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law. Thanks for being with me, Becky. Absolutely. Great to be here. Yeah, we've had a fantastic first segment, and we are going to talk a little bit more about estate planning and what that means kind of for non-traditional couples and you know how all that fun stuff sort of plays out. So let's talk a little bit more about the... Um, kind of what we can do to keep those children or grandchildren from, save them from themselves, if you will. What, you know, how, how does that work exactly with, with a trust? It, it, how, and how do we, you know, make sure that they're making those right decisions once we're gone? Well, you know, with a trust, it's really great. You get to choose who you want to be the next trustee. So the person who, after you're gone, is going to help manage that child's money um, for them. Okay. And that is probably one of the most important decisions you're going to make in your estate plan, besides who will raise your kids if something should happen to you and the other parent. Okay. But who's going to manage their money? Okay. Because I've seen a lot of family who start with the idea that, oh, older brother will manage all of, you know, sister's money. No, no, no. Mm. We don't like that idea. Yeah. You don't want to set your kids up for failure. Okay. You don't want to set up friction between family members. And okay. that could be family members at the siblings level or aunts and uncles 
uncles or nieces and nephews, you do have to look at family dynamics and make sure that who you're choosing to do these roles can really do it correctly. Okay. So um, you had mentioned earlier, if families don't have someone they can rely on, yeah. or if they don't want to put their child in the situation where they have to do it themselves, right. there are private fiduciaries that you can employ to do that for you. Okay, so, so you would hire them to sort of manage... The trust, essentially. Correct. Okay. Correct. And you've given on them all the rules in the trust and your right. guidance and what you want them to do, and they're the ones that get to act it out. And personally, in my own trust, that's what I've chosen to do. Um, more not not because I'm worried about family dynamics, but I have a young child, mm-hmm. and money that he has will probably last for years okay. because we've created a very conservative trust for him. That was right. our wishes. Right. And I don't want a family member to have to do that for the next 20 or 30 years. Right. So, and, and sort of be in the middle of that conversation constantly, Right. right. Right, because we still have to remember Christmas dinners happen, and you don't want it to be, oh, you know, hi, Uncle Bob, can I have money because I want to go buy a car at Christmas dinner, and if he (laughs) says no, that could go sour Yeah, that could make for an ugly holiday. Yeah. Okay, that totally makes sense. So so maybe that, you know, that is something that, you know, whether you're a non-traditional couple or or married, you can you can employ that strategy to make sure that you're not putting family members or friends in an uncomfortable situation. Correct. And um, it, it, I think it, it it bears mentioning here too. You don't necessarily because Becky just said, uh, you know, you you probably haven't given that trustee the right to raise your child. I'm guessing. No. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to have the same person as the money handler that you do taking care of the kids if you've got younger children, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So so those can be two different people. And they probably, in a lot of cases, should be different people, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the family and, okay. and the client's goals. And, you, you know, more importantly t- to me, because, you know, money's money. And right. if you screw up your kids with money, okay, that's one thing. Right. But for minor children, I, I always want to make sure that people have a will in place when they have minor kids. Okay. Because that's where you get a name who raises the children if something should happen. Okay. And especially in a situation if, if you're married and you are not the biological parent of okay. the other child or the adopted parent of the other child, you know, your rights go away pretty quickly. Mm. And I- unless we have some documents in place to make sure that says, yes, I want this person mm-hmm. to you know, raise this child. And um, those family fights can get pretty ugly really quickly. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because that's a, that's a question that I had is, you know, you say because of, you know, death or divorce, we're a lot of times going to end up in a blended family situation. Mm -hmm. So in the situation where we've got, you know, a divorce that happens and a remarriage or a, um, you know, cohabitation situation where maybe they're not even remarried and mom or dad, the legal parent, is incapacitated in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and God forbid should child be in that situation as well and somebody needs to make uh, decisions for the care of that child, you know, it does it fall to the actual other parent then or – you know, how does that work? Yeah, minor children are a little bit different than when you're an adult. Okay. So if you are a minor children, your your uh, legal parents or legal guardians are the ones that gets to make um, medical choices okay. for you. So okay. we, if you already are one of those, you don't have to go run to court and ask for permission. That is not the case once they turn 18. Okay. But if they're minor children, whoever is the biological parent um, can make those. Det- it doesn't necessarily mean the step parent. Ah, okay. But All right. legal parent... 
means blood relative biological blood or adopted. Okay. So or there's a document in place specifying that right the, the alternative right correct. Okay. All right. So although I, I recently had a, a case, there was a, a, a divorce situation. Um, husband, this was a husband and wife okay. case. Um, husband gave temporary guardian of minorship to um, his parents. Okay. Which says that they have temporary guardianship over his children and, and can make medical decisions and do different things. Okay. Well, wife actually took the kids to the pediatrician and the pediatrician said, oh, no, 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 no. You can no longer make decisions for your child because husband gave temporary guardianship to his parents. And that is incorrect. Right. Le- mom, you cannot take mom's legal rights away. Wow. Okay. But the pediatrician didn't know what to do and didn't know what the laws were and didn't know how to get in the middle of this family situation. Family situation. Wow. So th- we had to go to family court for that. Wow. And so, so there, th- like you said, it's really kind of different once they're – 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything else in non-traditional situations for minor children that people that are listening or watching on Facebook Live should be aware of to put in place? You know, that temporary guardianship of minors, that is okay. one, in Arizona anyway, one okay. of the most important documents you could have when you have minor kids. Okay. Again, that gives someone the ability to temporarily um, do anything that a regular parent would be able to do, any kind okay. of, you know, eye doctor, or vision exam, you know, sign kids up for camp, whatever it might be, that document is six months or less, meaning it has to be re-executed every six months. Wow. So, uh, you know, that's something parents have got to stay on top of. But the other important thing, how that document can work is let's say um, parents are in a car accident. Um, My husband and I, for example, we have a minor child. We have no other blood relatives here in the state. Okay. Blood relatives is the key. So if something happens to Rick and I, cops can only leave my son with Child Protective Services. Wow. Okay. If I have this document in place, which of course I do, yes, of course. Um, we have other family members, friends, coworkers who are listed on that document okay. so that, um, you know, Will can get taken in by other people just okay. because of that document instead of having to go into to protective care. Wow. That, and, and I would say that's pretty important if you're leaving your child with anyone for, you know, vacations or spring break or, you know, going to visit grandma or mm-hmm. whatever, that that you should have that document in place, correct? It, it's very important. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine in a time of a crisis situation where your kid's getting whisk, whisked away into, you know, protective environment where now they're feeling even more insecure. Wow, that, that sounds terrifying. Um, is there another document if you're living in a non-traditional situation where you're not married and, and both taking care of a child, is there another document that would allow that other party to make medical decisions or get medical care if, if, if need be? No. Wow. So then how do we handle that in a non-traditional situation? You do a temporary guardian of minors. Okay, I got it. See, got I, it. and again, you aren't either married or you're not. Okay. That, that makes sense. So now you have to now think about, you still have to do the exact same planning that traditional couples did prior to, you know, DOMA falling. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's not that there's any exceptions now. Oh, right. well, because you're not, you know, you're in a gay marriage or, or you can't, you can do, well, we have an exception. No, uh-huh. there's no exceptions. Okay. It, it, you are or you're not, and you have to follow the same rules as everybody else. Yeah, that, that, that that's a, a really important point. And the other piece of this, too, is I think that HIPAA form 
and 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 those types of things become even more important in the non-traditional situations because it, you know if you end up in the hospital and you've got family coming in that may or may not be supportive of the situation that you're in absolutely I've heard situations like that so tell us a little mm-hmm. bit more about how that would kind of be applicable so a HIPAA form is who can get access to medical information or who can even be at the hospital call up to the hospital check on you see how you're doing and there is a lot of times if family members are not supportive of the relationship mm-hmm. where they try to have that um, other um, person removed yeah. from the hospital. Yeah. And that's always heart, a heartbreaking oh, situation to I can't see. Imagine. So you want to make sure whomever you want to be able to have the power to come up and see you okay. and um, see you at the hospital, that they are on um, that form as well so okay. that they'll be able to have access. So then what happens if you don't have that form and you don't have access and you've got a partner um, that is that is in an accident of some kind? Like, wh- what are your rights? What do you do? Your rights are just the same as anyone else. You wow. need to have legal authority to act for someone. Okay. And there is, uh, there is a preference in our statutes as who gets to act. But that doesn't mean that the hospital just to g- gets to go down the list on their own and say who that is. Right. You still need to go to court and get the legal authority to act if you don't have these documents in place. And I'm not saying that an institution won't allow someone to act because it does happen. Right. Right. But it doesn't mean that they are acting legally when they uh, allow it to happen. Got it. So they don't necessarily have to tell you where they are, the situation, all of that stuff. They might, but they're really honestly not supposed to. Well, let me give you an example. Okay. So, uh, and I've used these documents, as you know, <laughs> in every million ways of situations. When my mom was in the hospital for her second heart attack, and my mom is fine, for those of you listening, she's, she's good. Um we had a cousin who actually called into the hospital who was able to get access to her medical information. Mm -hmm. And that cousin was not on my mom's HIPAA release form as Mm -hmm. far as who can get access to medical information. And we had a a really big fight with the doctors saying, listen, this is for these four people only and you cannot continue to release information that's against the law. And we actually had an actual claim against the hospital. We could have gone after them for that and it would have been an automatic federal fine. Wow. We chose not to. Right. But there are, you know, so you could use these documents defensively as well as offensively. Okay, that that makes sense. And I think, you know, it, it didn't the laws change recently to require that HIPAA form? Because I, rem- I, I haven't been in the hospital for 20 years probably, but I remember, you know, being able to just walk up to the front desk of the hospital and say, hey, how is so-and-so doing today? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and, I mean, in, it, it, in the olden days, I think that's what people used to do, but I don't think that that, that is the case anymore. Was there a law change that, that made that? you know more important no but you said 20 years which is funny because it was ni- it's the 1996 law wow so okay. it's actually 20 years ago <laughs> that that law came into place and, it, and it's evolved over time okay. so it's even in a ways have gotten more strict and it's you know they're really watching out for everybody's privacy right I mean we want to protect our privacy when it comes to our own health care and okay. so the laws have evolved to where you know it used to be you can go into the hospital and you could be in the emergency not the emergency room necessarily but you know maybe you're on a ward and you can see the nurses station yes. and you can see people's names yes. and then what they're Conditions were and who's on yes, that is against not anymore. Yeah, that's against the law. So now they have codes and they have different things so that it really shows a protection against with everybody's rights that you right. can't just walk in now and see you know what your treatment plan is. I do remember that. That is, um, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because gosh, how long ago was it now? Probably probably twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> it probably was. I mean, I remember walking down the. Um, my mom had surgery, and she was, for some reason, put in the maternity ward. 
and it, she wasn't pregnant, but she um, she she was some reason for some reason wheeled up there afterwards. And I remember my brother and I walking down the hallway, seeing you know their name and whether it was a boy or girl, and what the baby's name was on the whiteboard on the outside. And uh, my mom had a fibroid tumor removed, and my brother's joke was, "What are they going to put on moms? It's a fibroid." <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and and that wouldn't happen today because mm-hmm. that because of all of that uh, HIPAA release yeah. stuff. So even when you go into the doctor and you see, you know, you sign in. Right. It used to be sometimes you'd you'd sign in and they say, "What are you here for?" So you'd say a broken bone right. or this or that. You can't do that. That's sharing information that other people can see at the counter. So when you sign into the doctor now, you pretty much just have your name written down, maybe right. your appointment time, and that's oh. about it. Wow. Yeah. It didn't occur to me that that uh, that, that was the case, but I, I really, you know, there's been so many changes on, on all this stuff that I, I think it's so important to really look at all of the different situations that you, that you have. And um, one of the other things that I think people take for granted is beneficiaries, which I want to talk about when we come back from the break, because I think there is a misconception out there that if you have done proper estate planning and and have set these documents out that that actually we're going to be diving much deeper into next uh, next week on next week's show but if you have done an, a, a, a proper will and a proper trust and you have said where you're, where everything's going to go that that's what's going to happen but if a beneficiary form let's say with your uh, company sponsored retirement plan or your 401k um, your IRA if it conflicts with that estate plan which one wins Becky uh, the form. Yeah, the, the beneficiary form, form, right? The form wins. So um, we'll we'll talk about this when we come back, but I have heard situations where ex-spouses have ended up with assets they weren't supposed to because somebody forgot to change the beneficiary form on a IRA or a life insurance policy, and and that is not what anybody would ever have intended. But I think that, that it, it it's really important, and it sort of brings to light the the importance of making sure that you kind of do periodic reviews on all this stuff. You mentioned that the the um, um, ch- children's form that that allows somebody to act on their behalf, it, you need to kind of renew it every six months, right? Yes. So how often then should the rest of the forms be sort of looked at or reviewed? From a legal perspective, every three years. Okay. So going into an attorney, having just to review what you have, see if there's any changes that we need to address legally. Okay. From a personal perspective, I always recommend people pull their documents out once a year. Mm-hmm. Just take a quick five-minute look and see who you've named as your agents and who you're leaving money to. See if that's still what you want. Mm-hmm. And then anytime a life event happens, like a birth or a death or a remarriage, whatever it might be, um, just stop for a moment and see if that changes your plans. You know, maybe you have grandkids now Mm -hmm. and you want to leave monies to them or whatever it might be, those life events change potentially our estate planning goals. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think it's, it's important to just think about that whenever an event occurs, whether it's, you know, a marriage or, or a cohabitation or a separation or divorce. There are a lot of eventualities that could cause that plan to change, which is why it's important to sort of think through all of that when it happens. Correct. Or at Absolutely. least as close to that as possible. I, You know, I know when somebody passes away, that's the wrong time to immediately think about Hey, I need to update my my estate plan. But that should sort of trigger that thought and that conversation, shouldn't it? Absolutely. It it should. Yeah, I think that that, that, that that's really, um, really important. And, you know, the other piece of this, too, that I wanted to, you know, talk about is, you know, when – 
making healthcare decisions as far as, you know, both from a physical and a mental perspective. I know that there are forms that, that in Arizona we have to have in place that allow other people to make those decisions for us. And we'll talk a lot more about that next week in in that specific conversation. But I did want to touch on how that would uh, affect a non-traditional couple and uh, why I think really it's almost more important in those scenarios to make sure that those I's are dotted and T's are crossed because that can get ugly fast. Absolutely. Um, so definitely we will talk about that when we come back from the break. Thank you all for joining us. And if you are listening, please pop over to Facebook and uh, check us out there. We are on the Heritage Financial Strategies and Chaluka Law Facebook page, and we would love to take your questions if you have them. Um, I am Shanna Tingem with Making Money Fun. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back to the Making Money Fun Show. I am your host, Shanna Tingem, here in studio today with Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law. And we are on Facebook Live on both of our Facebook pages. Go to Heritage Financial Strategies or Chaluka Law. And feel free to uh, pop on there and ask us any questions that you have about estate planning or estate planning as it relates to non-traditional couples, which is the subject of our conversation today. And next week, we will dig into a lot of these topics in a lot more detail to make sure that we can get you some specific um, questions and answers. So I did want to talk a little bit about the um, estate planning and benefits as they relate to employers. So I know, um, you know, years ago before 
everybody was allowed to freely marry. You could go to your benefits department and say, hey, I'm, I'm in a um, non-traditional relationship. I'm not married, but I, I want to recognize my, my uh, partner as a domestic partner, which gave them some rights. It gave them maybe health coverage in mm-hmm. some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have given them some, some additional um, coverage if your company has like a life insurance policy that automatically goes to your spouse. Um, and so it, let's talk, Becky, a little bit about if that is changing or mm-hmm. has changed if, if um, with, with all of the um, uh, rules that have changed lately. So I, I think that is going to be something we are going to trendingly see change. Okay. A- and the reason for that, again... You can be married or you can choose not to be married. Yeah. And now you're putting companies in a position where now we have the ability to have anyone get married. There's no restrictions on that anymore right. to now carve out certain sec- exceptions again. And so I think companies are probably going to start doing away with the exceptions because next it would be, mm. well, but I live with my sister. Why can't, right. you know, we live under the same roof and we share expenses. So why can't we have this exception? Right. Or, you know, I'm still living with my adult parent and I'm sandwich generation. I'm taking care of them. Why can't I, ha- you know, have the same benefit? for them. So I think we're probably going to see now that everyone is entitled to be married, that some of those contracts with employer benefits are probably going to go back to just being for a, you know, your spouse. Right. Married or unmarried. There's really no in between. Right. That's interesting. And um, before the break, we touched on this, but I want to talk a little bit more and maybe you can share some situations that you've seen or or heard of in your practice with respect to beneficiaries. And that Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge focus of mine in my practice. I uh, do my best to review beneficiaries with my clients on all of their outside assets, meaning their 401ks and life insurance policies through Mm -hmm. work at least once a year Mm -hmm. because that beneficiary form, like you said before the break, really rules mm-hmm. um, if even if they have an estate with plan. With exception, right? as with, attorneys like to say. Okay. With exception. All right. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. And what um, what you need to what you need to know mm-hmm. so that you don't get yourself in a situation that you weren't expecting. Yep. So um, everybody remember federal law trumps state law. Federal okay. law trumps state law. Okay. And beneficiary forms trump a will or a trust. Uh-huh. So we have a couple different rules we have to follow. Okay. So when it comes to just who have you put on your beneficiary form, so maybe you've put your son, Stephen, on your beneficiary form. Okay. And in your will or in your trust, you have said that you want everything to go to all three kids equally. Okay. Okay. And you tell Stephen, hey, I want you to make sure this gets to everybody. Okay. Too bad. You just gave that life insurance policy mm-hmm. only to Stephen. And Stephen right. has no legal obligation to follow your will or your trust. You named him on the form, and the form trumps a will or a trust. Hmm. Now, federal law trumps state law. And okay. what that means is when we have 401k plans and plans that fall under federal law, and if you get divorced, for example, there is no federal law that strikes your ex-spouse from their form. Right. Under Arizona law, we do. So okay. Arizona has a statute that says if you get divorced, your now ex-spouse will be treated as having predeceased you. And so they can't receive anything, even if they're on a life insurance policy somewhere or your okay. checking account or whatever it might be. Okay. Be- because that's a federal asset. So okay. I have had clients where their um, now ex-spouse okay. is the one who re- inherited their 401k because after the divorce, they never went back and updated that beneficiary oh, form. Wow. 
Yeah, and that's probably not what they intended. But probably not. And <laughs> and for those who may, because I actually have clients who say, you know what, I still want this person to, right. to get th- this benefit. Right. That's absolutely fine. But after your divorce, you still have to go back now after the date of the divorce, go back and fill out a new beneficiary form, put that same person down. Ah. But that shows after the date of the divorce, it that is now your you intention wow. to have this person get that. I would never have thought that. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that if it was that way and you left it that way, that was sort of prevail. Nope, it huh. doesn't. Interesting. That is a really, really good point. And I think one that is uh, very important to remember is those are opportunities then for you to review your estate plan and check in with an attorney and make sure mm-hmm. that that you're doing what you need to do. Correct. Now, Wante has a question on Facebook that I want to answer, and we will get into this specifically next week in a lot more detail. But her question is, you know, how do you know when you need to create an estate plan? Um, does the estate need to be valued at a certain amount, which is a great question. So, Becky, what do you think? This is one of my most frequently asked questions. So, so thanks for typing that in. Um, actually, if you are over the age of 18, you need an estate plan. Yeah. Because again, the estate plan, most of the documents, and we're going to talk about this a lot next week, what all is in an estate plan, mm-hmm. but most of the documents in an estate plan have nothing to do with your assets. It has, or what you're leaving people. Mm-hmm. It has to do with who can help you in a healthcare crisis, mm-hmm. who can help manage your money if you're laid up at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these documents are for you while you are alive. Okay. And it's not just only when you die, how much money you're leaving to someone. Okay. So we actually do college plans for, for kids that are going off to college that are, you know, there are certain documents that we think are important for every 18-year-old to have. Okay, all right. Now, the other question that kind of comes up as a result of, of that, for me anyway, is, you know, what um, what do we need to be thinking about with, um, with respect to making sure that we are, if we're in a non-traditional situation, meaning maybe either we're single or... Or we're we're in a situation where you know we're not legally married. Um, what happens if we don't have these documents in place? And maybe the same thing happens if we're married or not married. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a lot of clients that say to me, "Well, I I don't have an estate." Mm-hmm. So I don't need an estate plan. And my answer is, yes, you do. You just don't realize it, right? Absolutely. Okay. Y- yeah, so we all have an estate because an estate means everything that you own when you die. Okay. Now, that might be a large amount or a small amount, but we all have an estate. Okay. And what happens if we don't plan, if we if we have items that have to go through court and have the court have oversight on all of those, that's called probate. Okay. Um, probate's pretty expensive, by the way. But there, there are state default laws in every state that says what happens in case you choose not to do anything. Okay. And there is a, a, an order of priority of what happens. And in Arizona, for example, everything, well, it depends on, again, if we're blended family or not. So there's lots of tricky rules. But it'll typically say if you're in, in an, um, uh, a traditional relationship with just children from your relationship, spouse would get everything. Okay. And then it's going to go down to your kids. And if you don't have a spouse or kids, then it goes up to your parents. And then it goes up to your down to your brothers and sisters and then your nieces and nephews. There's an order in the state statutes that says who it goes to. Okay. Okay. And okay. every state has different rules regarding that. Okay. So each state is going to be different. Okay. That makes sense. Now, uh, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, but give us a rundown, Becky, of what is actually in an estate plan. Sure. So the main documents in an estate plan would be a will, which is who gets your assets when you die or who also gets to raise your minor children okay. if they um, don't have another parent still alive. Next would be your health care and here in Arizona, mental health care mm. powers 
of attorney. Yep. So who can make medical decisions for you if you're not able to? You would also have a living will, which is a document that says if you are in a persistent vegetative state or irreversible coma, what are your choices? Okay. Do you want to be kept on life support? Do you want um, pain relief medication? Those okay. types of decisions. Right. A HIPAA release form is a document that says who can get access to your medical information. Okay. Who can call up to the hospital, check on you, talk to doctors, get information regarding your care. Okay. So those would be the healthcare documents. Okay. There's also a financial power of attorney, which is who can manage your assets if you're not able to yourself. Okay. Uh, we also in Arizona have that temporary guardian of minor children okay. that we discussed. And then also um, to avoid probate, if you have any type of real property, we would want to do a beneficiary deed on your house, which says, when I die, I want my house to go to X. That gets recorded. That means that real property is going to avoid probate. Okay, so that makes sense. In a will-based plan, those are the documents you would need for for an estate plan or, right. are those documents. Okay. And then you could choose to have a trust, a revocable trust added in there as well. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So Wante had another question, which is she has a living trust. Would we also need an estate plan? And a living trust really, as, as I understand what you just said, is a part of the estate plan, correct? Yes. Okay. It can be a part of estate plan. And it okay. really depends on your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. Main reasons why somebody might tr- choose to do a revocable living trust would be if you want to provide a... Uh, Uh, for uh, asset protection for your loved ones, whether you want to make sure that you're avoiding the probate court, whether you want to make sure that you want to uh, provide or avoid probate court for what we call living probate. So okay. guardianship conservatorship actions, it's called incapacity planning. Okay. And then there's also tax planning, which okay. nobody needs right now because our tax death tax laws are very generous. So <laughs> right. really four main reasons to choose whether or not to have a trust. Okay. Um, very little of them besides the tax one have little to do with how many assets you actually have. Okay. All right. So a lot of those, do- all those documents that you mentioned that are just part of the estate plan. It's not like a separate thing, right? Correct. Okay. Perfect. So that makes sense. And I, I think that there's a, you know, a misconception out there as well for a lot of people that it's sort of an all or nothing proposition. Mm -hmm. And I I tell folks all the time, if you're going to do nothing else, get those healthcare powers of attorney and the HIPAA form and a will in place because you're not going to not need some of that at some point. Right. Um, You know, and so at least start with that, get that out of the way. And then if, you know, you really are concerned about how you leave your family and loved ones when you pass away, then that's where maybe the living trust kind of comes into play, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we actually had at our seminar last night, we actually were talking to a gentleman and, and financially he's not in a, in a place to, to do everything right now. And so right. we're doing a document at a time and right. we're going through and we're prioritizing for him. What's in, the most important. What's the most important. Yeah. And then we'll just take him one at a time as he's able to afford yeah. going down the list. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And uh, next week we'll actually talk about costs a, a lot more and, and what's included in that, Becky. But give us a quick um, idea for those of us that are listening, how much the, the kind of the will and the trust stuffed costs when you're actually going to a uh, knowledgeable attorney versus mm-hmm. trying to you know do it on your own or any right. of that stuff. So most attorneys in estate planning do things on a flat fee basis. So they'll have a document price or a plan price that is um, will include whatever documents are in that plan. Um, in our office, for example, if you're an individual to do our will-based plan, it's $1,800 if mm-hmm. you have uh, one piece of property. And that's going to include about six or seven legal documents. Um, if you're married, you're going to add about $1,000 on there, but 
candidates are each going to get one of those documents. So uh, a married will-based plan, there's about 12 or 13 documents in that plan that you'll need. Okay. All right. Perfect. And then the trust-based plan starts at what? Trust-based plans start around $4,000 in our office, goes to about seven. Okay. And this is where we need to, to remind you to compare apples to apples. Yeah. Because we do trust funding as part of that price, which we're only one of a couple people in the state that do, that does that. Hopefully, we'll talk about that next week yes. a little bit more. I'll put that on the list and, for sure. And what that means. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important to remember that because if you have a trust and you don't have the assets titled correctly, like we mentioned beneficiary forms earlier, um, you end up with a, a document that was a really expensive paperweight uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at that point. It really doesn't do what it's intended to do. And I see that so often with my clients that come to me with documents from other attorneys or other states. It's, you know, th- this should be good enough. And, and in reality, if, if they had funded it and done what it, it they needed to do with it, it would be. But it, it as it stands, mm-hmm. is not going to provide the level of protection that they're looking for. Right. So I think that's really, really important uh, important to remember. As we wrap the show today, Becky, is there anything else that you want those that are listening or watching us on Facebook Live to know about estate planning for non-traditional couples? Yeah, just, you know, one of the biggest decisions is is looking at what types of benefits might be available to you if you do choose to get married. So would you get Social Security benefits or veterans benefits? Are there benefits through either of your employers that you would or would not be eligible for? So um, consider that as well um, as as you're choosing whether or not to move forward with a marriage yeah that sounds that sounds great I, I know that we always would like you know um, like to say that to follow your heart but sometimes it's makes sense to be more pr- pragmatic as my uh, my mother used to say you can't live on love mm-hmm. so <laughs> we love peg yes uh, if you call Toluca law you will you will talk to my mom because she mm-hmm. is that she was she is our front desk manager there so um, thank you all for being with us on Facebook and um, if you're listening to the show, thank you for being here as well. And we would love to have you back next week and for, uh, for that conversation, which is a really deep dive into estate planning and wills and trusts with Becky as well. So please uh, come back next week and join us. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Shanna Tingham, and I am the host of Making Money Fun. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show, and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated.